Our scripture this morning comes from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham. God said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show to you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, The fire and the wood are here. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The angel said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, On the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. These are our sacred stories. Homiletics was required coursework for a Master of Divinity when I was a student at Wake Forest University. I assume it still is. Had it not been required, I likely would not have taken it. I was not going to be a minister, and certainly I was not going to be writing or delivering sermons. It was required, and so there I sat a second-year student quaking in my shoes as the hat with the scripture was passed around. These were the texts upon which our first sermons would be crafted. I drew my folded piece of paper and passed the hat. I unfurled the paper and I read Genesis 22, 1 through 14. Do you know how your ears buzz and a room seems to freeze? That's what happened. I didn't need to look this passage up. I knew this story. I could not believe it. I would have to create my first ever sermon on a story I found reprehensible. But as I read and reread the familiar story and tried to use what my professor called my sanctified imagination, 
I was surprised to realize that I understood more about a father's willingness to sacrifice a child due to the call of God than I wanted to admit. Monday night was visitation. Child sacrifice believed to be God-sanctioned had been a large part of my life. Tuesday night was deacon's meeting. Growing up, the oft-abandoned daughter of a minister who pursued his own God call. Wednesday night was prayer meeting. Often over the involvement in the lives of his own children and spouse. Thursday night was visiting the hospitalized. When I finished delivering my sermon, not only my first, but because of the order of delivery, the first sermon I ever heard a woman give, I took my place in the listening chair, the chair at the front of the room where we all sat after preaching to hear feedback. Some of the feedback was easy to take, like the praise and encouragement. Some criticism was also fairly easy to hear. You touch your hair too much. Get a barrette or leave it alone. I'm still working on that. Other pieces of feedback were more challenging. Dr. Braxton's words of feedback have plagued me since he spoke them, and that's a long time ago now. He suggested that I had, in his words, taken Abraham to the woodshed, but that I had not taken God there. I thought a lot about this comment, and what I've realized is that if I had taken God to the woodshed, if I had believed that God truly intended Abraham to sacrifice his child, if I had believed that God meant for those in ministry to place their careers over their children, had I taken God to the woodshed, I would have left alone, eviscerated, empty. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. The sun beating down on a father and son climbing a mountain, a journey of about three days. The father carries fire, a knife, and an appalling secret. The son carries wood and question. The scene is almost picturesque if one is unaware of the secret. We're not unaware. We know that Abraham believes that God demands that he kill his son Isaac. We know that the knife he carries he intends to use to slaughter his own child. If you grew up in churches anything like the ones I grew up in, then you've heard this story as a story of faith. Certainly it's a story of cost, of sacrifice, but faith? How are we to understand a God who tests, a God who asks for child sacrifice? How are we to comprehend a father who does not even question what he believes he heard from God? 
a father who does not even plead for his son's life. How are we to make sense of this story? Monday night visitation, Tuesday night deacons meeting, Wednesday night prayer meeting, Thursday night visiting the hospitalized. My brother and mother and I were lucky if we saw my father at all during the week. We were given second and sometimes third place to the work of the church, to the call of God on my father's life. My father, like Isaac's, responded, here I am to his understanding of God's call. Responding, here I am, is positive. Here I am, though, need not end our communication with God. Surely God wants our dialogue. Abraham was willing to challenge God when it came to the lives of the people outside of his family. He bargained with God for the lives of the righteous, the ones who offered hospitality in Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, in almost all ten of the chapters concerning Abraham, which precede this one, Abraham speaks with God. Abraham speaks with God often, but he doesn't petition God on behalf of his own son. Does God demand following God's call first and family second? Does God eagerly await our here I am only to then demand the sacrifice of meaningful relationships? Knowing other PKs, preacher's kids, I've learned that my experience of my minister parents' absence in our family is anything but extraordinary. I have one PK friend who at nine figured out the best way to get a message to her father was to write it on a prayer request form and slip it in the offering plate. At prayer meeting later that week, her father read, would like minister to be home more often. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Abraham carried fire and a knife. Fire is used as a symbol of the divine throughout the Bible. Consider Deuteronomy 4.24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. Abraham does not simply carry fire for the burnt offering. He carries God. And what of the knife, a symbol of death and destruction, no stranger to blood and violence, a symbol of power? And Isaac, Abraham places the wood, that wood that will burn the sacrifice upon Isaac. Isaac carries the wood that he will be laid upon, bound, prepared as a sacrifice. Isaac carries what is meant for the destruction of his body on his back. He's burdened with being the child of a father who bears the symbol of the divine in one hand and a device for violence and death in the other. A father who carries what he believes to be God-sanctioned, but what is abuse. Abraham carries an understanding of God that propagates violence and victimization. The God Abraham carries demands the knife, demands the sacrifice of sons. 
Abraham doesn't question and Isaac doesn't resist. They've given in to a belief that God tests, that God demands violence, that God cannot be questioned when it matters most. What image of God are we carrying? Does our image of God promote suffering and violence? Do we feel like we cannot ask questions of the God we carry? Are we willing to closely examine the ideas about God that we hold? Are we willing to consider that years of religious tradition which suggests that God causes our suffering may indeed have proved harmful for some, almost all of us, and deadly for others? Are we willing to hold our ideas of God in the light of love and justice in order to expose that what we've assumed to be God sanctioned isn't of God at all? When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar. There he laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called down to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Abraham does not kill Isaac. But can we really breathe a sigh of relief? Though living, Isaac is surely traumatized. Though not cut, he is scarred. He can never see his father in the same way again. Their previous relationship is so emaciated that it lives now only in distrust and abandonment. After this passage in the Bible, there is no further dialogue between Abraham and God. Abraham transitions from speaking to God often among the oaks in the morning face to face to not communicating with God at all. By sacrificing his relationship with Isaac, Abraham sacrificed his relationship with God. If we're unwilling to examine our concepts of God in the good times, we may find ourselves in the depths of despair, living a life that is crumbled before our eyes and unable to believe in a God we have never questioned, and therefore unable to believe in God at all. The concept of God which Abraham carried was a God who not only authorized but demanded violence, sacrifice. A God Abraham did not feel he could question concerning the most horrific of orders. And it was this God that I was introduced to as a young child. A God who would expect my father to place ministry over family. A God who would sanction pain and suffering to teach us and test us, make us stronger. Holding this violence-sanctioning God, we are taught to be like Abraham, who does not question, and like Isaac, who does not resist. But this image of God is not the only image of God. It's not the only theology available. We do not need to carry this God anywhere except perhaps the woodshed. 
Yes, this story is in the Bible. Michael Clevenger wrote, Whenever Christians say, but it's in the Bible, I get uneasy. Smashing an enemy's infant against the rock is in the Bible. I'm much more interested in if it is of Christ. So we must hold our images of the divine up to the light of love and leave behind that which does not help us to be more loving of ourselves and of each other. God is love. And love does not demand that we sacrifice our relationships. Perhaps you have ideas about God that you still carry. Ideas that you cannot seem to shake. I know the angry old white man God of my childhood has not completely disappeared. But friends, we decide what we carry. We decide the stories that influence our lives. We decide what we take on our journeys. And I think it's time we put down what's not helpful. Putting down what's not helpful does not mean we don't hold something. This is not a story of faith in the way the churches that raised me meant for it to be for me. And it is a story of faith. It is a story that reminds me that our stories matter. What we tell ourselves and each other about God matters. What we blame on God matters. Certain images and understandings of God are getting a lot of play these days. God is being blamed for bigotry and exclusion. God is being accused of being for some and against others. God is being held up once again in one hand while tools of violence are held up in the other. But we cannot be like Isaac. We must resist. We must question. We must refuse to let this be the only image of God that's put forward. God is love. God is love. God is love. Amen.